Welcome back to The Reeducation. Today's show is a monologue-only look at Sister Sujit, a rap artist, activist, and novelist made famous 31 years ago by Governor Bill Clinton in a political maneuver many sane Democrats are hoping Joe Biden will try against the wing of his party who defame Israel's response to the October 7 massacre. painful. It's just, just continue to watch people think it's okay to bomb a hospital with children. You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and, and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking and some of you know this, they keep telling them not to cry in Arabic. They, do, they can cry. I can cry. We all can cry. If we're not crying, something is wrong. That was Representative Rashida Tlaib two weeks ago blaming Israel for bombing a hospital that wasn't bombed. Initially, the world media reported that the El Ali hospital was destroyed by an Israeli airstrike. The Gaza Ministry of Health reported that at least 500 people perished. By the next morning, though, it became clear that this was a hoax in more ways than one. The hospital still stood. The explosion was at a nearby parking lot. And the culprit was not Israel, but Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a smaller death cult in Gaza that fights alongside Hamas. When Tlaib made those remarks on October 18th, all of those facts were known. Major outlets had either retracted or amended their initial stories. The Israelis had produced public evidence, intercepted phone calls between terrorists, and satellite photos of where the rockets were misfired that debunked this initial slur. U.S. intelligence confirmed Israel's account, but Tlaib did not care. She had her narrative, and she was sticking to it. So at a rally, she marshaled her tears to shame the president to end Israel's response to the worst mass murder of Jews since the Holocaust. At the time, the White House on October 18th, at least, was still very much on Israel's side. Rashida Tlaib's calls for a ceasefire was going over well on campus, but not at all in Congress. As I speak today, that appears to be changing. Last Thursday, President Biden called for a humanitarian pause. 18 Democratic senators have signed a letter calling for a cessation of hostilities. Tlaib's position is being appeased, if not exactly her language. I begin the show today with these developments, because in this moment for Democrats especially, there is a hunger from those in the party not afflicted with social justice brainworms for a sister soldier moment, calling out a member of one side, broadly speaking, to draw a contrast, to say, we are not that, this is wrong. And Tlaib is a great candidate. We are talking about a congresswoman who wouldn't answer a journalist's question a few days after the Hamas massacre on whether she supported the beheading of babies. We are talking about someone who has voted against USAID for Israel's defensive systems to intercept the rockets and missiles fired indiscriminately by Hamas. When a large majority of Americans blame Hamas for the war today in Gaza, here is a member of Congress that blames the victims of Hamas for the war it started. She would be an ideal foil for a president with an eye on re-election, one would think. To understand why President Biden has yet to turn Tlaib and her fellow members of the so-called squad into this generation's sister soldiers, it's worth revisiting that moment from 31 years ago. You had a, a rap singer here last night named Sister Soldier. I defend her right to express herself through music. But her comments before and after Los Angeles were filled with a kind of 
hatred that you do not honor today and tonight. Just listen to this, what she said. She told the Washington Post about a month ago, and I quote, if black people kill black people every day, why not have a week and kill white people? So you're a gang member and you'd normally kill somebody? Why not kill a white person? Last year she said, you can't call me or any black person anywhere in the world a racist. We don't have the power to do to white people what white people have done to us. And even if we did, we don't have that low-down, dirty nature. If there are any good white people, I haven't met them. Where are they? Right here in this room. That's where they are. So that was Bill Clinton on June 13th, 1992. He was addressing the leadership summit of Reverend Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition. This was all in the wake of the L.A. riots of 1992. The proximate cause for those riots was the acquittal in Simi Valley of four white L.A. police officers who were caught on video mercilessly beating a black man, Rodney King, even after he was dazed and on the ground. The anger in Los Angeles had been brewing for decades. There was a perception, much like today, that the police could beat and kill black men with impunity. And when the jury acquitted King's assailants, South Central L.A. exploded. African, very African. Come and step in Brothers Temple, see what's happening. You'll taste the bass flow coming from a zero. Tell me what a sissy know. Funk a lesson is a new flow. Stop and it wasn't just South Central. All over the country, black communities were furious. During a concert at San Francisco State University, X-Clan, who's playing in the background right now, they stopped the show when the verdict was announced, went into the audience, and led an impromptu march, chanting, whose streets are streets, as well as the slogan from N.W.A., fuck the police. The L.A. riots lasted six days. All told, the damage from the looting and arson was tallied at more than $1 billion. 63 people were killed. One truck driver was dragged out of his rig and murdered. The entire event was captured on camera by a traffic helicopter. The riots poured gasoline on the already fraught relationship between black Los Angelinos and Korean immigrants. Before the King verdict, Latasha Harlins, a young black woman, was shot dead by a Korean shopkeeper named Sun Ja Du. But when Sun Ja Du was prosecuted, she only got probation after being charged with involuntary manslaughter. And this anger and frustration was reflected in the hip hop of the era. Here is Ice Cube with a sinister rhyme called Black Korea. So don't follow me up and down your market All your little chops who he has to be a target Of the nationwide boycott Juice with the people, that's what the boy got So pay respect to the black fist Or we'll burn your storm right down to a crisp And then we'll see ya Cause you can't turn to get him In the black career, career, career In 1992, rioters enacted Ice Cube's threat When he said, respect the black fist Or their stores will be burnt to a crisp so all of these cross currents, the sudden evaporation of law and order in America's second largest city, a presidential campaign, and a Democratic Party still catered to intellectuals that spoke of urban crime in the language of root causes and white guilt, explains why Clinton's sister soldier moment resonate, why it has become a political cliche. Bill Clinton was gatekeeping. He was drawing a red line around his party and saying clearly, Sister Soldier is not us. So who was this foil for Governor Clinton? 
Well, her name is Lisa Williamson. At the time, she was both an activist and a recording artist affiliated with rap pioneers Public Enemy. Here's a snippet of her 1991 track, The Hate That Hate Made. The video begins with a black mayor being harangued by two Hasidic Jews and two others at a table calling for a police crackdown. Lovely. Well, I think we can say that she's no MC Light, and I guess you could also say that Clinton had the good fortune of attacking an artist that wasn't very good. But you could also, I think it's important here to note that Clinton in 1992, I think that he, he had a very valid point. Why was this woman asked to speak at the Rainbow Coalition? Why was she given a platform? Well, there are a few reasons. In the late 1980s and early 1990s, neither the left nor the right really had a good answer as to why so many black neighborhoods in our best cities and our biggest cities had become war zones. Some of this was explained by the crack epidemic, cheap, smokable cocaine that turns almost all of its addicts into zombies. Others would argue that this was evidence of systemic racism. In 1992, colleges and universities were enduring the first wave of political correctness, which a generation later would become the more virulent Great Awakening. In cities like Los Angeles, there was also a problem with the police. And it wasn't just Los Angeles, we should say. The view was, and a lot of this was true at the time, is that minorities were being treated as if they were guilty until proven innocent. Finally, by 1992, hip-hop was entering its golden age, and the cutting edge of rap in this period was often laced with an Afrocentrism and political radicalism missing, we should say, from most of hip-hop's history. So in this context, Sister Soldier was welcomed not so much as an entertainer, but as a kind of oracle. Academics, politicians, and older community leaders had lost touch with the rising generation of black Americans who were finding inspiration from Malcolm X and Stokely Carmichael. The old radicalism of the 1960s and 1970s appeared for a moment in the early 90s to have some momentum. So here is a clip from Sister Soldier's press conference responding to Bill Clinton. Sister Soldier does not own a gun, has not shot or killed anyone, did not invade Grenada, Panama, Nicaragua, Kuwait, or Angola. Sister Soldier has not ever ordered the National Guard into anyone's community, has not made drug deals with Noriega. Sister Soldier has never been a member of a terrorist organization, has no history of crime whatsoever, has never lynched white people, burned crosses on their lawn, or hung them from trees. And on it goes. Notice how she is implicitly saddling Clinton with the deeds of his political opponents. I mean, Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas when Ronald Reagan ordered the invasion of Grenada, and when George H.W. Bush ordered the invasion of Panama. But Bill Clinton is guilty because, like those past presidents, Bill Clinton is white. Now, some of her rambling screeds sounds a lot like what you would hear in a DEI training course today. Here she explains that no black person can be racist because they lack power. Therefore, we can conclude that Sister Soldier is not a racist, nor is any other African leader 
or African person in this world able to be a racist because they do not have the power to collectively and systematically beat down and destroy white people, European people, does not have the power to deny it all, refuse to discuss it, and silence, intimidate, harass, and hunt down those who take a stand and fight back. Now, I should say that Sister Soldier in this press conference was not above parroting Republican attacks in her own defense. So I just want to play another clip of that presser because it's funny, where she sounds a lot like a young Candace Owens. Bill Clinton talks of morality, but admits that he was a reefer smoker who doesn't inhale. Sister Soldier has never smoked reefer and is completely drug free. Number three. Bill Clinton says he believes in a strong family unit, but could never quite get his own personal and social behavior together. His treatment and dismissal of Jennifer Flowers is indicative of how he relieves himself from his own personal responsibility and created an emotionally abusive environment to another woman. He seems to be very comfortable attacking women. Sister Soldier's main point in all of this was that Bill Clinton was like Franz Fanon's colonizer. Please listen to Wretched of the Campus, a very good episode we did two back. The only relevant way to analyze the riots in this respect was through this lens of power and privilege. Well, Clinton ended up winning a three-way race in 1992 and had a fairly successful two-term presidency, despite being impeached for lying in a civil deposition about his sexual predations against Paula Jones. By the time of his second impeachment, the intellectual class that flirted with the radicalism of Sister Soldier and Public Enemy maybe in 1992 had largely embraced Bill Clinton. The only ones left scolding the president about his sex life were Republicans. The American economy was booming and the crime wave of the 1980s and early 1990s was declining. Clinton spurred Congress to pass a massive crime bill with the support of the Congressional Black Caucus. And rappers were no longer really radicals. Like P. Diddy, many became moguls. Ice Cube, remember him? Well, by the end of the decade, the man who recorded Black Korea was starring in middle-brow motion pictures and making a mint. Sometimes, finding the strength Get out. to do what's right. Here go your money back. I'm putting it right here on the table. Man, you're going to take this money. You're going to take this money. It's in the people. We can't talk straight in the barbershop. Then where can we talk straight? Right beside you. Rodney King should have got beat for driving drunk and being grown in a Hyundai. Oh! Barbershop. For nearly 25 years, the sister soldiers were kept at bay. But history is a funny thing. It may not repeat, but it tends to rhyme. Okay, we'll talk I'm about I'm not it. a super predator, Hillary Clinton. Okay, fine, we'll talk about it. Can you apologize to black people for mass incarceration? Well, can I talk? And then maybe you can listen to what I say. Okay, nice. Thank you very much. Um, there's a lot of issues, a lot of issues in this. That was Hillary Clinton confronted by a Black Lives Matter activist at a 2016 campaign stop in South Carolina. She was holding a sign that quoted Hillary when she was first lady. Quote, we have to bring them to heal, end quote. And that was when Hillary Clinton spoke of super predators on the streets of our cities. BLM would disrupt other Hillary events. But this time, there was no sister soldier moment. Instead, the Democratic nominee that year offered to listen and then tried to co-opt the activism of the social justice left to address the emergency of Donald Trump. Well, none of it worked. Trump won. But the radicals were empowered. And throughout the Trump years, more and more speakers were shouted down. More and more fringe groups exerted their political power within the Democratic Party. The culmination was in 2020 with riots all over the country that followed the murder of George Floyd. This time, there were not many voices 
who would call out directly the arson, looting, and lawlessness in our cities. Indeed, the general tone in the media, and for Democrats at least, was a soft bigotry of low expectations. They were mostly peaceful riots, we were told. We must look at root causes. Many politicians seeking support from the new radicals even proposed nonsense policies like defund the police, only to walk them back when crime began to inevitably spike. So it's fair to ask, what does all this have to do with the Middle East? Well, it goes back to the philosophy of Fanon and Sartre that I discussed in that Wretched of the Campus episode. For Rashida Tlaib and others in the squad, one cannot blame the Palestinians for starting a war by conducting a massacre because Israel has more power. It's the same warped logic that led progressives for years to claim the gangs who preyed on black neighborhoods were only victims of their environment. If you would have asked Bill Clinton's primary opponents if they would have scolded the Rainbow Coalition after the atrocious jury verdict that allowed Rodney King's assailants to walk free, they would have almost certainly demurred, because none of them did it. Don't insult our voters during a crisis. And yet Bill Clinton knew that he had more to gain by speaking a hard truth than going along with a lie. The lesson, though, is not only that denouncing bigots on one's own side is smart politics. Clinton's sister-soldier moment also banished the new left from mainstream Democratic Party politics for nearly a quarter century. In one speech, Clinton was able to exercise the ghosts of McGovern, Carter, Mondale, and Dukakis. When political leaders fail to gatekeep radicals and know-nothings, they don't go away. In 2023, the sister soldiers are back, and they are in Congress, on campus, and on the streets advancing a blood libel against the world's only Jewish state. Oh, what a tangle web we weave When first we practice to deceive Guns be clicking Running with my clan, we be sticking Whatever, my sweet family stays together Represent what I invent Kill a hill resident Rest in peace to my the street life is the only life I know. I live by the cold style as Matt Piolo. Iranian thoughts are covered like an Arabian. Grab the who on the spot and put a nod to his cranium. satisfaction. Won't be lasting long unless they get protection for real. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a Nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing. Mm-hmm.